0: This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for September 21st, 2018. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Are we witnessing the beginning of a trade war between the United States and China? Or is it the new business as usual? Earlier this month, after the United States announcing it would impose $200 billion on new import taxes on Chinese goods... China immediately retaliated, saying they would impose $60 billion on U.S. exports. But how did we get here? And is this a short-term economic rift between the two countries? Or are they in it for the long haul? Joining us to discuss, Dr. Michael Pillsbury of the Center on Chinese Strategy at the Hudson Institute. He is also the author of the book, The 100-Year Marathon. Dr. Pillsbury, let me begin first with the terminology. Some call it a trade dispute. Others say it's a trade war. How would you define what is occurring between the United States and China right now?
1: Well, these are terms of art. Um, If you don't like it, you usually call it a trade war. If you think there's legitimate grievances, then you call it a trade dispute.
0: How would you define it?
1: I think it's a trade dispute. I think there's quite a few issues on the American side, that date back uh, 20 years or more. And, uh, for example, President Obama, you may recall, indicted five Chinese military officers with a huge press conference at the Department of Justice, put their pictures up, said they're engaging in cyber technology theft, actually ma- mainly at the, in the Pittsburgh area, and uh, demanded their <laughs> trial and you know extradition. It was seen then as a sh- shock. How could, it, how could President Obama do this? But actually, it was just a symbolic move. There's, there's, there's three, it's been four years now. Nobody got arrested. Nothing happened. And after the Chinese cyber technology thefts continued. So what we're seeing now is an escalation by President Trump that actually might have happened if Hillary Clinton had won. It's just a long – Uh, standing set of trade issues on which the Chinese have shown literally no movement at all, Steve.
0: So let's break this down step by step. We hear from the administration that uh, Chinese is stealing intellectual property. What are they taking and why is it important to China?
1: Well, the way the Trump administration has laid this out is a legal requirement for when you apply tariffs uh, in advance, you've got to have hearings and evidence. And so the U.S. Trade Representative's office issued a 250-page study with hundreds and hundreds of footnotes, That's kind of legal testimony of Chinese technology theft. Some of the uh, evidence that was cited was testimony from U.S. companies this, about specific things that had happened, let's say, in solar panel technology or the Chinese either stole the technology outright or they forced the company to grant it, or they recruited an employee who would then teach them how to make, in this case, solar panels a lot better. Um, there's other testimony from the chamber of commerce in Beijing. There's a series of academic articles. There's a lot of references to previous trade disputes at the WTO that China has not settled. For example, um, MasterCard, Visa, and American Express cannot really be used in China outside of major international hotels. So a case was filed. China lost. They said, okay, yes, we'll open up our country to American credit cards. And then they didn't do it. It's been like almost three years. So in the meantime, their credit card is basically the government of China with friendly companies created. It's now the largest credit card in the world, Steve. So you, you have, I, I hate to say thousands, of, but certainly hundreds of examples put forward in these White House documents that have been made public, and the Chinese deny it. They simply rather blithely say, "Oh, this is not true." Uh, one Chinese scholar called it defamation of China. So it's, there's no negotiations. Also, the Chinese say they say we would never do this kind of thing. <laughs> You see the frustration, whether it's Hillary Clinton or, or Donald Trump, you see the frustration presidents have with the Chinese negotiating position.
0: Which goes to the larger issue of understanding China. And I want to share with our listeners what you told The Wall Street Journal, quote, Beijing sees the United States as an inevitable foe and is planning accordingly. We'd be remiss not to take that into account. Can you elaborate?
1: Sure. I wrote a book uh, called The 100-Year Marathon, in which I tried to outline what I call the hawks versus the moderates in Beijing. The hawks had been neglected um, by many scholars. They're hard to, to get access to. They tend to be either military generals or intelligence executives or some of the nationalistic scholars in China. And President Xi seems to be swinging more towards the hawks and away from his moderates. Uh, this is a very specific example. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party announced at one point the market will be the decisive factor in our economy. That's really against socialism. It says the commanding heights of the economy should be in the hands of the of the government. Uh, President Xi has kind of moved away from the market and toward the state-owned enterprises, the so-called commanding heights. It's not a terrible thing. It's, it's his discretion if he wants to play to get the support of the Hawks. But it seemed to me at the time I gave the Wall Street Journal interview and in my book, uh, it seems to me that we've neglected the more nationalistic hawkish narrative coming out of Beijing. And they seem to be involved in this trade dispute, frankly.
0: Let me follow up on that point then, because President Trump has often said that he has a close personal relationship with the Chinese president. Does that help in any way in trying to negotiate these trade deals?
1: Oh, yes, it helps enormously. It's a brilliant strategy. Uh, In their system, uh, they don't really have a House and Senate and Supreme Court and a free press that can criticize the president every day. So President Xi has, I won't won't say all the power, but let's say 90 percent of the power in their system. So a good relationship with him in which President Trump can be bringing to his attention, President Xi, perhaps you didn't know this technology theft is going on. Perhaps you didn't know all these restraints on our American companies in China. Perhaps you didn't know about the investment limitations that our people in Wall Street are complaining about. Then President Xi can look into it and either quietly change the policy or announce it as a, as a major change. This seems to be President Trump's strategy. And frankly, I have a pretty high hopes it's going to work. Steve, you can imagine the opposite if President Trump or any American president demonized the leader of China and called him a thug and a monster and then expected negotiations. Obviously, it just didn't, it wouldn't work. So I do think President Trump's on the right track. Whether President Xi does look into all these issues and make changes, I think a lot of that's going to depend on how he reads the American political situation. Right now, the Chinese forecast is the Democrats are going to win uh, the midterm elections. They still think a lot of China's old friends are kind of in charge in the White House, and there's just a small faction of hawks that they have to kind of outlast until <laughs> until November, December, and next year. That's what the Chinese seem to be betting now, that they can pretty much continue their strategy of ignoring the American negotiating demands.
0: And let me ask you specifically how China is responding. They have been very precise in imposing tariffs on U.S. goods, in particular targeting states that Donald Trump won in 2016, especially U.S. farmers.
1: Well, it fits with their strategy that the president's, um, let's call it trade war again for the sake of argument, that the president's trade war is sort of unpopular with many sectors, certainly unpopular with the moderate Republicans and some of the Democrats uh, in the Congress, certainly unpopular uh, with some industrial sectors. So the Chinese strategy is to try to split this American political system and hope for a better outcome, hope for uh, reductions in on, on the American pressure on China. There's some evidence that they believe it's working.
0: When did you first visit China? How many times have you been there since then? And what have you learned over the years?
1: Well, if you consider Taiwan a part of China, I spent two years there alone Mandarin in uh, 1970 to 1972. I visited mainland China more than 50 times, which, by the way, Steve, is not a record. It's not as many times as our Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross, who told me he's visited China 85 times, (laughs) including three times for President Trump. So what I learned in this this whole process experience, I think many other people have too, is the complexity of Chinese thought, uh, Chinese strategy, in many ways, how different they are from us. We often misperceive them as either being just like us now or wanting to be just like us. And there's a kind of a funny reason why this happens. Visitors, especially for the first few times, they see Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and shopping malls and traffic jams with Mercedes Benzes think, wow, this country is just like us. And they find out perhaps on their fifth or tenth trip, no, they really have a different civilization and a different history. And so we should expect a different strategy coming from them. That was the point of my book, The 100-Year Marathon, is don't project our American system onto the Chinese system or their way of thinking.
0: As you look at the U.S.-China relationship, take us back to Richard Nixon, his landmark visit to China basically opening up the doors between our two countries in 1972 and how it's evolved since then.
1: Well, the first big step, as you know, is geopolitical. We wanted the help of the Chinese, um, either in balancing the Soviet Union's power or in influencing the Soviet Union to be more forthcoming with detente and in arms control negotiations. As I uh, show in my book, and especially in my next book, the CIA forecasts at the time, and not just the CIA, were that China's economy would probably amount to nothing. They, have, they were at least uh, between 5 and 10% of our economy. So the notion that 40 years later, uh, the peasants in their blue suits riding bicycles with no cars in sight, that they would turn into a, an economy getting closer to our own in size – that was something no one no one thought of. The game then was geopolitics, um, and really showing the Moscow look look at our new friend here in China. So it's, I call it an intelligence failure in my uh, book, The Hundred Year Marathon, and I cite some of the CIA documents that made these forecasts. It's easy to understand why people fought that. China had not grown very much since the, the, even the 1930s at best 5% a year, who would have thought, Steve, that there would be a 30-year-plus period of 10% growth? It had never happened before in economic history. So I kind of forgive the CIA for the (laughs) – for misunderstanding China's growth rate, but that's the part of our problem that we face now is did they uh, use – I hate to say it, but illegal means in their growth rate? Did they steal technology and protect their own economy – Uh, in ways that they really shouldn't have done, especially after we encouraged them to join the World Trade Organization.
0: And Dr. Michael Pillsbury, with reference to the title of your book, The 100-Year Marathon, one of the biggest criticisms that we have faced in this country is that the U.S. does not take the long view. We see that in our budget process, where we're lucky to see a budget in place uh, every year on deadline. Why is it that we don't take that approach?
1: Well, we long ago rejected the idea of a single-party system. Uh, It's quite fascinating. It goes back to Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and the the struggle for what George Washington's policies were going to be. And the formation of our two political parties came out of that uh, rather emotionally bitter experience. The Chinese didn't have that. They really never had two political parties of almost equal power. And they're much more comfortable with A single leadership which claims it was chosen on the basis of merit and therefore struggles over the budget and how far to look ahead, one quarter or 10 years or 20 years, it's really handled internally in bureaucratic battles. So this makes China more difficult for us to influence because if we knew, okay, who is against the trade war? Who wants to reform the Chinese economy uh, more rapidly? Who's against technology theft? We could support that group. But their system is somewhat secretive. So I do think we can see the hawks versus the moderates, but it's nothing like our own, a much more transparent system. I'm not saying that democracy is impossible for China. There have been a lot of advocates of democracy in multiple parties. Uh, but usually what happens is after they register, the Chinese government puts them in jail. <laughs>
0: So let's turn to the headlines that we've been seeing over the last couple of days. The president imposing $200 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese goods. Walk us through how that works and what will be impacted.
1: Well, the Trump administration has followed the legal procedures of having hearings and getting the evidence. Um, There's a number of elements of the president's trade strategy, as I understand it. Um, One is the tariffs and what Secretary of Commerce Ross and others have said, the president himself, that this is punishment. This is not because we're trying to protect uh, domestic American industries. This is pure punishment for technology theft, unfair trade practices to our companies, um, a series of mercantilist measures that got China ranked the number one mercantilist country in the world. So the next step, is to watch for modification in these policies. Will the Chinese buy uh, what the Trump administration requested, $100 billion more of imports from the United States, um, going from $130 billion to $230 billion in a year? The Chinese seem to have offered $70 billion quietly. So that's a lot. I mean, that's kind of a major concession. But it's, if, if you're in the real estate negotiating business, Steve, you know that's not – so that's not even that's not all the way. So that's one area to look in. The second area is if they start to crack down on technology theft. They say they've got more courts now for intellectual property protection. You've even got an internet court where if you think I have violated your intellectual property, you can sue me online from your laptop at home and the judge will render the decision. The third area is these the restrictions on American investment in China. There's large areas where we can't invest at all. There's other areas where it's only 50% or less. That's another area to look for for Chinese opening. Some of the moderates in China say they want to do this anyway. This is terribly important, Steve. They say we're already opening up. There's going to be further opening up. So these American complaints will be taken care of in our normal Chinese evolution to have much more of an open economy and and, uh, reforms this might be true.
0: You mentioned the Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, and uh, he told CNBC that the goal or the purpose of these tariffs is to basically modify China's behavior, saying that uh, what we really want is a level playing field. So what would that look like, and how do we get there with these two uh, huge economies?
1: Well, Secretary Ross is using the phrase, a level playing field, that President Trump has a different way to to express it, sometimes he uses the word reciprocity, and it's really across the board. Reciprocity in the amount and level of trade. So, if we buy 500 billion from them, obviously they should buy something close to 500 billion from us. That would be one kind of level playing field. Number two, if we let them invest here in high-tech industries and in our services, if we let them buy boutique joint ventures that will tell them where to uh, invest in high tech in the future. A level playing field in investment has been a goal more than 15 years. There's something called the bilateral investment treaty talks, the bit talks among insiders. They've really gone nowhere over the issue of the Chinese wanting to close most of their productive sectors to our investment. The third area is this technology technology theft which could be the topic of an agreement there would be some way to uh, reach a a deal on what kind of technology transfers occur Uh, there's even an allegation Steve that they uh, have a large number of American software packages that they don't pay for they just illegally operate it so those are the three or four big areas where a level playing field and reciprocity is what the Trump administration is looking for So one can be optimistic. You know, I don't mean to sound pessimistic. One can be optimistic that over the coming year, uh, agreements on the Bilateral Investment Treaty will happen. They will buy more American uh, exports to China. They'll do something about the technology theft, uh, at least make it an issue that President Xi tells his large businesses, especially the state-owned businesses, Don't steal American technology. I mean, that would just be a speech or a statement, but it might help a lot because of the fear of what can happen to you if you cross the government in China. So I'm not being pessimistic. I'm just saying we have to have some empathy with the Chinese, that they've been spoiled. This is something President Trump has said and others have said. They've been spoiled by too much bluffing on the American side, not followed up by actual actions that bite. So that's what I think is behind the tariffs, the desire to make progress more rapidly we have over the last uh, 20 years or so.
0: As somebody who has spent so much time in China, advised U.S. presidents, advised Pentagon officials, and written a number of books on the subject, complete this sentence. When it comes to trade and our two U.S., when it comes to trade and the U.S.-China economies, we need to understand what?
1: Uh, We need to understand the differences in how the two economies are managed, they are not a free market economy. In some sense, they're proud of it. As I mentioned, the commanding heights belong with the, with the government and the party. But some estimates are that 50% of their economy is, is a free market. So 50% is not. And our economy is really quite different. We have we don't have these massive state-owned enterprises in our country. We have the Tennessee Valley Authority, for example, which is sort of like... A, Bikini factor in the total American GDP, but in their system, the managers, the CEOs of roughly the top 100 companies are chosen by the Communist Party, and they're responsive to the party leadership. So if you and I form a company, Steve, and we're going to buy uh, rare minerals in Africa, we don't just go look for the most um, profitable ways to please our shareholders – We ask the government, what kind of rare minerals do you want us to buy? Will you help us in that country when we're there? And is it okay? And, of course, the answer will be yes. Is it okay if we keep a monopoly on these rare minerals? This actually has become a major issue that the U.S. companies didn't see the profit in worldwide rare mineral acquisition, and the Chinese companies guided by the government did. So we're not always the smartest in our system, but these two systems are just so different. It's awfully hard to have negotiations unless the two presidents are personally involved. So one of my uh, hopes is that at some point this will become a uh, one-on-one President Trump and President Xi discussion of where are the areas of compromise.
0: Do you think, bottom line, the Trump administration is on the right track?
1: Yes, I do. I think uh, there's wide support for what they're doing. I was surprised the day President Trump announced the tariffs, the first round of tariffs. Did you notice Senator uh, Chuck Schumer agreed with him within a few hours and put out a press statement? Uh, I think Senator Schumer says something like, I don't usually agree with President Trump, but in this case, I do. But the Chinese doubt that, as as I'm trying to explain uh, to my Chinese friends. There's more support for President Trump's policies than just a few people in the White House.
0: The Weekly is C SPAN's podcast, available wherever you download your favorite podcast, also on the web at cspan.org. Mm-hmm. Dr. Michael Pillsbury, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Steve. And to our listeners, we thank you for being with us.